Welcome to the Soul Fit Labs podcast with your hosts, Stephen Haar and Laura Lucas. We're here to guide you on your fitness journey, educate you in the process, and turn your passion into purposeful action. Whether you've never stepped into a gym or if you've made fitness into a career of your own, this podcast will be your go-to stop for all things health and fitness. Here, we give you actionable steps and pro tips on how to lose weight, effectively train your body, improve your energy, sleep quality, and mental focus. We created this podcast to give you free access to some of our personalized health coaching, bodybuilding, and weight loss courses, where we use a holistic approach to sculpt your body, feed your soul, and upgrade your mindset. So stick with us if you're ready to become a master on health and fitness with Laura, myself, and some of the best industry leaders we know. Hello, you guys. Welcome back to the Soul Fit Labs podcast. This is our third live podcast brought to you from sunny California. I don't know why I'm going on a little bit of a longer intro spiel than usual. Today's topic is going to be all about how to get that coveted six-pack look. This is a great follow-up to our previous, actually two podcasts ago, where we talked a little bit about the anatomy of the core and the muscles involved. There are probably more muscles than you guys thought. But today we're going to talk all about how you get that really coveted six-pack look from a training perspective, from some diet strategy perspective, as well as diving into a little bit of genetics and sort of why do we see people that have very different looking six-packs. Mm-hmm. So that was a great introduction and a very catchy title, which we did on purpose because we know that's why most people like, you know, that's the look we all want to get is the, the ripped six pack abs is like a sign that you've made it in the fitness industry. But, um, and, and most of us like, you know, the basics are, you know, eat healthy, do your cardio, but, but really what, what does it mean what do you need to do in order to get your abs to show? So we're going to dive a little bit deeper into that. And let's go ahead and start with the training aspect, because I know what most of you have probably heard is that idea that abs are made in the kitchen, right? It's uh, I think I've heard people tell me 80% diet and 20% training. Yeah, and, and we're going to flip that a little bit and say we're more in the camp of it's it's 50-50 because both aspects are, are crucial. You can't do without the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're going to take anything away from this, you know, your, your, your diet is going to show your abs, your training is going to develop your abs. So yeah. we're going to talk about how you can develop your abs actually right now. Yeah. Um, so diet is important, but training is just as important. And that's the part that I wanted to specify before I got into what type of training we like to recommend for developing that really good six pack look. Um, and last, the last two podcasts, we, we pretty much covered some of the most important moves you can do, which is starting with a plank. Uh, one of the best things you can do to develop your abs is get really good at doing a body white plank. Hey, Bettina, she just hopped on. (laughs) Um, so if you can do a plank and you can feel your abs and you can keep your lat muscles on and your glutes engaged, that means you're working your core and you're developing that muscle. Right. Because at the end of the day, 
our core work is just another form of strength training, right? Mm-hmm. And a shameless plug while I'm here, I've got a YouTube video that's going to be talking all about what is strength training. But just a little um, a little sneak peek on that here. Strength training, I want you to think about that just as it's a muscular contraction. It's your mm-hmm. muscles generating force. So like Laura just mentioned, holding your plank, it's not just you trying to hold a straight line and keep your belly from touching the floor. It's pulling those muscles in. It's creating force by squeezing the abs. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be the baseline for any force of sort of core work that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll take the next one. Yeah. 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 So like right from there, the, the planking is great. And then the next thing you want to do is practice the motion of flexing. So the, uh, the six pack muscle is really called your rectus abdominis. And that's the one that is that long muscle right on top of, um, like the most close to the skin. And it basically is divided into a left and right side. So you've got, you know, that little line that runs down the middle. And then from there it's got, um, two horizontal lines that create that six pack look. So that's your rectus abdominis. And the thing that that muscle does is it, it, uh, crunches, essentially the motion of crunching is what works the six pack. So, uh, crunches are a great thing to do. If you can accurately engage your core while doing your crunches, you're going to be developing your, uh, your, your best abs. And on top of that, we've got sit-ups. So going from a crunch motion into a full sit-up, that's going to be good for your abs too. We like to, for me, I would say it's best to do a weighted sit up if you can, or a decline sit up. So if you can get your body at some sort of an angle and then come up from there and resist yourself back down, that's going to work your core in a much larger range of motion and, um, provide a little bit more of a challenge, same as holding a weight. And then uh, last two exercises that I wanted to mention were the knee tucks. So you can do knee tucks or leg raises. They're pretty much the same thing. A leg raise is a little bit more advanced, but the knee tucks you can do um, lying on the floor with your back flush to the ground. Um, And same thing with a leg raise. Your legs are just straightened and you're lifting up and down. If you want to take that up a notch, Stephen's favorite move (laughs) I used to always see him doing at the gym is a hanging knee tuck or what he would rather do is the hanging leg raise. And um, those are really tough. So if you're going to do a hanging knee tuck to work your abs, I mean, I can only get in like five good reps before I have to take a break. I don't know. How many reps can you do before you feel like you were fatigued. I was up to 40 at one point. 40 reps. Yeah. He did them a lot, but, um, he's got really great abs too. So (laughs) that was like your go-to move. I feel like I was really into CrossFit at the time. So yeah, it was like every day I'm going to do leg raises. Yeah. And I, actually how we met. Funny story. (laughs) (laughs) I met him doing leg raises. (laughs) I'm more of a fan of decline sit-ups. I just feel those the most. I love ones that I can really feel. Uh, and, and from there, like, Uh, it does, you know, you can develop your abs doing just body weight moves, especially if you're a newbie. And especially if you have trouble connecting to your core, those body weight, bicycles, planks, crunches, sit-ups, those are going to be great for you. Yeah. Um, so great, great descriptions and a lot of really good exercises in there. Mm -hmm. Um, to touch on those bicycles real fast and then sort of tie it all together. I know a lot of us think about, um, bicycles as a core move and they are, but a lot of us are probably doing them pretty fast, right? Cause we're thinking that it's like a burnout move. It's the end of my workouts. Usually it's a push if you take group fitness classes and these are really only effective for your core when we slow it down. Right. And the reason for that brings me back to the start. Strength training is all about a contraction. 
contraction. And in the case of your core, you want to maintain that contraction. So whether at the most basic level, you're holding that plank, that's a constant contraction, or you're doing a crunch, that's a little range of motion, or a full sit-up, that's a much bigger one. You've got two directions to those moving motions, right? You've got a contraction that starts the crunch or starts the sit-up, and then you've got a releasing phase where you're slowly returning back to where you started. Um, and for a lot of us, that's sort of just like a flop down to the floor, big release of breath. And you really want to hold on to the tension there because if you're thinking about this, the longer I maintain that contraction, the more work my abs are doing. And with the bicycle in particular, if you're going too fast, then it's sort of just like joints flying around. And it's great for your heart if that's what you're going for, but it's not doing a whole lot for your abs. Yeah. So time under tension is, is another way to put this. That's what I'm going for here. Your abs are really, really high fatigue threshold muscles, which means you can put in a lot of volume before they start to say, oh, I'm feeling tired. Um, and Laura actually alluded to this as well. You can train your abs body weight, in which case you're going to be doing more reps and higher volume, or you can add a weight to it where you're going to overload those muscles faster with increased resistance. <laughs> and I had something else to say, but, um, you want to do both those, by the way, your abs are probably one of the only parts in your body that are an almost equal mix for all of us, irrespective of your genetics of type one and type two muscle fibers. So for those of you that don't know what that means, those two muscle fibers basically are your power muscle fibers versus your endurance muscle fibers. And the abs are pretty 50, 50 blend of both, mm -hmm. which means you have to add the weight and add that increased resistance, maybe at a lower rep range, and you gotta drop the weight and you gotta go for volume with just your body weight at times to really round out your core. Yeah, so uh, I'm sure most of you have heard of the slow twitch and the fast twitch muscle fiber. That's what Steven's talking about, and that slow twitch muscle fiber, that's the one that you have to go for endurance. So that's like doing you know, 100 sit-ups in a row, doing crunches for a good 60 seconds. That's doing the, um, those are working the more slow twitch muscle fibers, and the ones where you're doing like those knee tucks where you can only go for five good reps or a weighted sit-up that's a decline, you can do 10 reps maybe, like 10 good ones. That's more so working those fast twitch muscle fibers, but both are good for developing the core muscles because like he's saying, you've got both in your core and that's because our core is so important. Our core helps us stand up straight all day long. So your core needs to be able to go, you know, hold your body weight up for a long period of time. And your core is responsible for explosive sprints, explosive jumps. So that's where the, you know, the fast twitch muscle fibers come from as well. Um, but like, and kind of what he was saying earlier too, with the bicycles, I think that's a really important point because if you guys want to strengthen your abs, you got to go slow. Like there, if you're going fast in a sit up, a crunch or a bicycle, you're doing cardio. If you're contracting the muscle and you're going slow, you're doing strength training, which one's going to get you that six pack. The strength training is going to, well, okay. Now I'm kind of going to go back on that statement, but which one's going to develop the muscles for the six pack. That's going to be your strength training. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, and a phrase that I like to sort of, to illustrate what Laura described is we always work in two directions. One direction you're going to generate force, the other you're going to resist the release of that force. So that's just both directions in your crunch. <laughs> um, I think that was probably pretty clear. Yeah. So, so really when it comes to training, you want to do the strength training. This is the one that's going to help your abs pop. 
you know, anybody, everybody has a six pack beneath their <laughs> levels of body fat. If you get lean enough, you're going to see some abs, but we all know we've all seen, you know, someone who's really skinny and has a very low body fat percentage, but they don't necessarily have ab definition. And we've seen the opposite for people that are not necessarily super lean, yet they still have a six-pack type of a body, six-pack type of a look. And I think you guys can all envision what I'm saying here is that, you know, leanness is going to help your abs show no matter what, but the more muscle you have, the better your abs are going to look. Right. It's like I said at the start, you got to develop the muscle and then you have to show the muscle Mm -hmm. and diets where you're really going to be able to show the muscle. So let's, yeah. Are we, are we, do we know? Yeah. I think that's a good, a good transition. We'll, we'll, we'll take it back to training a little bit, but let's talk about diet for a little bit. Okay, cool. So I think that statement you just said, what was it? The developing the muscle versus showing the muscle. Yep. Training is developing your muscles and diet is revealing the work. Ooh, revealing. Yeah. So the diet is what reveals the six pack. Um, you know, you could have that, that super strong built core muscle or the rectus abdominis. And yet it might not show if your body fat percentage is too high. So, um, so diet is really the way that you're going to get that body fat off of you and, uh, and show your hard earned muscles. Mm -hmm. Um, and and we, and I like to say that diet is the thing you should really focus on when it comes to getting that type of lean, um, low body fat percentage look rather than cardio, because, um, cardio is something you kind of want to add in as not a last resort, but you want to add it in sparingly only as needed. The best thing you can really do is focus on your diet because no matter, no matter what, you cannot out train a bad diet. Your diet has to be on point. Uh, and then the cardio comes second. So we have a lot of podcasts back in the very beginning. I'm sure some of you guys have listened that are on here. I know you've listened to all those podcasts, so you know a little bit about what I'm talking about, about how to understand your metabolism, how to know what your daily calorie needs are, how to be in a calorie deficit, how to go pick a diet that works for you. You know, nothing that's like super low carb or super low fat, but just something that is in a calorie deficit that is, um, going to end up allowing you to burn some body fat rather than store body fat. Right. And we're not going to get too much into diet specifics here. Mm-hmm. Um, we just wanted to hit on the fact that, yes, you are going to have to lose fat. Chances are, unless you're already incredibly lean, you can see your abs, then <laughs> you're probably just listening to this for fun. But <laughs> you're going to have to get to a certain level of leanness, which is going to mean restricting calories to a degree. Um, but like I like to say with your training and with your diet is um, it's always sustainability in the long run versus intensity. So whether that means hitting the gym super, super hard and day in and day out. That might work for a week or two. You might make some progress, but you're not going to be able to stick with that. Mm -hmm. Same thing with the diet. Crash dieting is never a good strategy because it's not sustainable. It's not something you're going to do for more than maybe a week or two. You're not going to do it for a couple months or a couple years. It's not developing a lifestyle. It's it's really just trying to, to find a quick fix. And there are some ways where you can make some quick fixes that are going to be temporary. Um, and we might talk about that a little bit later. I mean, I, yeah, we can jump into that now. I think since you already brought it up. Yeah. Like, you know, how do you cheat your way into a six pack? Yes, there are ways to do that. Meaning mostly carb manipulation and water manipulation. 
So a lot of uh, bikini athletes, bodybuilders, they'll do what's called peak week before a show. And that basically just means that this is a week where, you know, you have only, you know, six, seven days left and you need to look as shredded as possible. What can you do in that last week to get really stage ready and stage ready just is a temporary look. You guys, it doesn't, you don't look stage ready all the time. So what can you do is basically you cut your carbs down a ton and you up your water a ton. And then, you know, as the days go on and you're upping your water to maybe like three gallons a day and you're reducing your carb intake, you're going to, and, and you're going to do some cardio, you're pretty much going to deplete all glycogen storage in your body. So, uh, you know, if, if maybe you don't know this, but the more carbs you have in your body, the more water you're going to hold on to. So when you get rid of carbs, you're going to drop a lot of water weight and you can drop as, you know, in, in one week, I can drop three pounds if I just cut out all carbs for a couple days. But as soon as I eat carbs, that water weight comes right back. But, um, but you're going to look really good because that, that, uh, water layer that's like right beneath the skin is going to disappear when you, um, when you increase your water and then you cut it like a couple days before your photo shoot or your stage date. And then all the muscles that are right beneath the skin, those are going to really pop. And what people also do is after they cut the carbs, you know, for those uh, four to five days or whatever, those couple days right before show day, they increase their carbs. They like triple their carb intake. They fill up the muscles. They replenish their glycogen storages. And then that causes the muscles to look super full. And on top of having that super full muscle, you have all that water that you've depleted and that just, you know, makes you look more shredded than you actually might be in a couple days later when you eat carbs again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I think you covered that one pretty good. Yeah. Um, and, oh, sorry to interrupt. So if you guys are looking for, you know, if you're lean, but you just want to get photo shoot ready, I did want to let you know that there is an article on T nation that I've used before for like a six day photo shoot diet that I will put in the notes below just for fun. If you guys need, you know, like a quick, quick two to three pounds off your body to look good for a, a date or a bikini show or whatever. I'll share that with you too. But what we're going to talk about now is the, the long run picture, how to actually, you know, get abs all year round. <laughs> yeah. Um, well actually before we did do that, mm-hmm. um, a lot of people ask, you know, what body fat percentage do I actually need to be down to in right. order to have six pack abs? And your definition of six-pack abs might differ a little bit from one person to the next. Um, But for the gentleman that asked me that out there, it's going to depend on you. But in general, a good rule of thumb is you're going to be you're going to want to be in the low teens as far as your body fat percentage goes. So to take an example, if you look at the post in my story that should still be up or actually my profile picture on Stephen R. Fitness, um, that it was a story post promoting this podcast. That picture of me right there is me at about 12% body fat, maybe 11, maybe a little bit lower. That was for a photo shoot a little while ago. Um, that I didn't really get prepared to prepared for too much. So it's not crazy lean, but that should give you an idea of what sort of ab definition you can expect as a male at, let's call it between 10 and 12% body fat. Now, if you have great ab genetics, which we'll talk about in a little bit, then you might be able to see your abs crazy defined at 14 or 15%. And some of you might have to be right at that 10 mark, um, to really feel like you have all six of those abdominal muscles showing. Now, 
This is obviously going to be different for, for women, and Laura's going to cover that in a sec. Um, but if you're not really into the crazy shredded, shredded core look and you just want some ab definition, then don't stress out about that too much. 15 16% gentlemen, you're going to be able to see your abs unless you're one of the few individuals that just happens to store an excess amount of body fat on your belly. But you get down into those mid-teens, and you're going to be able to see your abs. Yeah. So, and for my females out there, I will cover, um, your body fat percentages as well. So for females, we naturally have to have a little bit more body fat on us just because, you know, we make babies and all that. Um, but, uh, the, the, like right now I'd say in the, the picture post that I use to promote this podcast, I probably sit between 18 and 20% body fat. And that is where I'm really comfortable. And I feel like it's easy for me to maintain and, I can still see my abs and it's not like crazy ripped when I'm at show level, but it's like a, like a very athletic type of leanness. So 18 to 20%, you're definitely going to see ab definition. Uh, if you are, you know, thinking of them, like the average American woman, I just like read this stat before this podcast is at 40% body fat. So that is, um, technically like almost obese. I want to say average American, you know, woman is 40% body fat. That's a lot. I, you know, average Californian is probably very different, but, um, for the average fitness person, I'd say females, you're probably between 25 to 30%. If you work out and you are somewhat healthy eater, a somewhat healthy eater, easily you're, you know, under 30% body fat. So, if you want to start seeing your abs even more, you're probably going to get have to get closer to that 20% body fat. And at 20%, you're probably going to be pretty happy. If you're someone who's already at 20% and you just want more ab definition, getting to about 18% is going to be a big difference from 20%. Like the leaner you get, the more noticeable those, those numbers become. Every percentage dropped becomes a lot more noticeable. And, um, you know, and stage, stage lean for me is like 14, 15% body fat. And that is not something that I can maintain all the time. Just, uh, genetically, I'm not like, my body is not comfortable being there. So, you know, like I'd say for most of you, 20% and under you're going to be, or like right around 18 to 20%, you're going to be really happy. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, gentlemen that are looking to get incredibly shredded, that is going to be single digit body fat percentages. And that's something that a blessed few of us are able to do, um, easily. I'd say there's very few of you out there. Um, but it is certainly possible to get in those single digit percentages with a solid strength training and solid diet program. Mm -hmm. Um, so, oh, sorry, go ahead. (laughs) Um, I was going to say we should bring this back to what is a sustainable long-term diet to show the abs. Did you have something else to add? Yeah. I mean, I kind of going back to that, like body fat percentage and getting your abs to show, I did want to go back and say like the, the, the more muscle you have, you don't have to be quite as lean to get your abs to show. So just from personal uh, experience here, like when I was 15% body fat the first time around, I didn't feel like my abs looked as good as when I was 18% body fat, but had a lot more ab muscle. So like, you know, that's just what we were talking about earlier. Why strength training is so important is because you can get your abs to show by just getting the muscle to pop and getting that muscle really well developed. And maybe your body fat percentage isn't quite as, uh, quite as low. And, and, you know, I thought that was really interesting for me because I always just imagined that like, 
you know, the leaner I got, the less body fat percentage, the better I'd look. But then I'm like, why do my abs look better sometimes when I'm at a higher body fat percentage than a low body fat percentage? And it's just because the amount of muscle I have. And that had partly to do with how you were training, correct? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I used to have a lot more trouble activating my core. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and there's even some more tips that we can get into as far as how to train your abs for more of that pop look, for more of that size look. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's finish out the diet first, though, before we get there. Yeah. Um, so as far as like creating a diet that works for you, that's going to get you to that low body fat percentage, it, it's really a synthesis of, I, I was I'm actually going to say this is a lifestyle. It's a diet and a training method. It's whatever is going to be reproducible and doable for you in the long term. So from the training aspect, this is going to be a solid strength training program. And, you know, here we promote strength training over cardio for your exercise for a lot of reasons, but it really is because it it stands to benefit your body in so many, so many other ways. And the benefits of cardio, while important um, for for sort of this case, the aesthetics can be taken care of by working more targetedly on the body. Um, but if you're going to work cardio into your training program in order to sort of, um, supercharge that sustainable calorie deficit that you're on, then for the long term, we're usually recommending lower to moderate intensity cardio. And this is, this is running, this is jogging. Maybe this is even walking at an incline. It's riding your bike. Um, it's not necessarily hit cardio, which can be great for sort of the quick fix. You know, you have that photo shoot coming up in a week or two. It's actually great for depleting those glycogen stores. Um, if you're looking to do that, um, but it tends to be too hard on the body to really do day in and day out. Um, so you're looking at a form of cardio for weight loss that is going to be really easy, easy to recover from and something that's chances are, and, and hopefully you enjoy because you're going to be doing it for the long term. That's sort of the, the MO here. And same with your diets. You know, not every diet works for everyone. It doesn't need to be low carb necessarily. It doesn't need to be high fat necessarily. You do need to have an adequate amount of protein, obviously, because you're looking to build muscles, in this case, the core, really filling out that six pack. Um, but if it's not something that you can do feasibly because you don't feel well on it or because you don't have access to those things or because your body just doesn't run well on a high carb or a high fat diet, then it's not for you. It's not sustainable. Right. And, and like enjoyability is everything in the long run. You know, if you're going on a diet or an exercise plan that you're all out and all about for, for six weeks, great. You can get some good results, but then if you don't enjoy that way of training, if you don't enjoy that type of eating, you're going to gain that weight right back. And that puts you in a really bad spot to, um, to eventually lose weight again by like that yo-yo type of cycle. That's just, you know, really hard on your body. So trying to, um, like Stephen said earlier, it's not about the intensity. It's, um, what did you say? <laughs> it's about sustainability. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think you said something else. Was that it? <laughs> That's what I remember. <laughs> okay. Well, it's not always about how intense, how quick can you get results? It's like, um, what results can you, can you produce for a long amount of time? Mm-hmm. And eventually how, in how the long run. How reproducible are they? Yeah. In the long run, how, how sustainable and maintainable is it? Uh, and then from there, I, I think I did want to touch on genetics a little bit because I, this is originally how we came up with this podcast topic. We were driving to, um, Laguna, Laguna. it was a long drive and we were thinking like, you know, why do some six packs look different than others? I think I was looking at this girl's photo and I was like, why does her six pack look kind of 
weird. <laughs> like, you know, she's got really good ab definition, but it just looks completely different from like my abs. Like, how mm-hmm. does that happen? Yeah. Why is your six pack crooked? It's probably <laughs> not something you, <laughs> funny, yeah, story, funny story. Somebody basically just commented on one of my photos a couple of days ago saying exactly that. What's wrong with your abs? And I was like, well, they look fine to me, but I guess they're crooked. Um, yeah, so we learned from that 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 car ride um, that a lot of how your six pack develops, as far as like the placement of the individual muscles as well as their size, is genetically determined. Mm-hmm. So for for those guys maybe that you see on the beach that look like they just have this like bulky six pack that's popping out, you can see all six muscles and they're really rounded and they kind of have that nice like mountaintop peak, like they really stick out. Um, those, those guys are <laughs> genetically gifted is what I like to call them. Um, and they are more predisposed to be able to develop, um, muscle size in their abs. So what, what you have that creates that peak in your abdominal muscles is something that is, it's kind of a funny name, isn't it? It's called a muscle belly. Yeah. <laughs> which sounds, sounds <laughs> the really, belly of the muscle. really unflattering, <laughs> but it's basically like the, the thickest part of the muscle and it's the middle of the muscle. So it's what is responsible for basically your abs looking like a hill versus a mountain. And if you have big, thick muscle bellies, then you're already have a genetic advantage for having a six pack that pops out. Mm -hmm. And sort of along with that, the double whammy, if you have that and you have muscles that have shorter insertions, which means in this case with your core, your six pack, the individual six parts, even though it's technically one, are going to look like they're closer together because those muscle fibers are actually shorter. That mm-hmm. creates the illusion of sort of a single larger unit for your abs and basically just makes you look that much more prominent. Yeah. And I and also like at the insertion points too. Did you talk about that? Yeah, well, yeah. Just briefly right there. Um, mm-hmm. Another analogy with the insertion points is like, um, I was going to use a guy analogy. Do you have a good girl analogy? Uh, well, let's see. Give your guy analogy first. Well, I was going to talk about biceps. Abs and biceps oh, okay. are something we all want to know about. Um, <laughs> so if you take your bicep muscle, there's a couple of them, but it's going to, each muscle is going to have what's called an origin point, which is where it starts and an insertion point, which is where it connects to another muscle or bone. Your bicep is going to have an origin at your shoulder and it's going to connect right at the elbow joint. Now, if you have a, you can, that origin point can vary sort of in distance. If you have a long sort of bicep muscle, it's going to insert closer to your elbow. <laughs> that mic is traveling farther and farther away. I know, away I know. I can't see talks. my face. I can't see my face <laughs> in the screen. Um, if you have a longer insertion point, it's going to connect closer to your elbow and that muscle fiber is going to be more spread out. So when you actually contract it, when you squeeze your bicep, the peak is going to be smaller. Now, if you have a shorter, if you have a shorter um, muscle fiber and therefore an origin that is higher up on your arm, it creates that like really like that mountaintop peak. It looks like a golf ball, like case in point right here <laughs> or like right here. Um, actually, mine are, mine are pretty long. Um, <laughs> mine are kind of short. I kind of have shorter insertion points is what I've told. My muscles are uh, a little bit more easy to pop. Like I can do less to get that peaky bicep because I just have a, a shorter insertion mm-hmm. point. Yeah, we're actually a great um, sort of anatomical contrast here. Um, <laughs> yeah. But the point being, depending on where your muscles start and end, 
the length of those muscles themselves. Um, it's going to determine a lot about how you look, especially when it comes to things like symmetry and size. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what's also interesting too, is that you can actually train to develop certain aspects of the muscle itself. So what we were learning as well is that doing something like a crunch, which is a very small, concentrated range of motion is what's going to work more so on the center of that muscle. So like the muscle belly that we're talking about versus doing a full range decline sit up where you're working the muscle from a very extended range up into a very contracted range that is working, um, you know, every part of that muscle, uh, simultaneously. Is that, I guess the right word mm -hmm. for that? And versus just focusing on that muscle belly with the crunch where you're kind of getting that, that nice peaky look to the muscle is a short range of motion for high reps. But, um, and that's yeah. sort of true of, for any of you that are interested out there, that's true of developing size and pretty much all of your muscles. Mm -hmm. A shorter range of motion is generally going to do that because if you think about the initial range of motion, we use the abs as an example and those muscle bellies being the biggest part of your muscle fiber for the abs, your body is always going to engage the biggest part of the muscle fiber first because it just has to get that motion started. After it gets it started, it's generated all that force and then you know, you're moving longer, the other parts of the muscle start to kick in and start to work. Case in point, that full sit-up is gonna engage more of the muscle fiber than just that little crunch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and what type of people generally train with that smaller range of motion for size? Uh, is, this a, is this a question for me? It's a question B for Bodybuilders? Bodybuilders, yeah. Um, <laughs> Got it right. <laughs> and those are usually the people that have those, the, the massive cores that stand out to you mm -hmm. that I was talking about to begin with. Yeah. Um, but uh, you've probably seen people that look like they have much of, of, of a more like flatter stomach, a more homogenous, like almost Ooh. like you could run your hand down it. And there's just little grooves, but it's not really sticking out. It looks like a solid sheet. Um if any of you, any of you guys are CrossFitters out there, you probably notice a lot of the other guys and girls at your box have a core that looks like this. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a core that is geared towards performance rather than aesthetics. And I'm not saying they don't look good um, because I think they do personally, but it is essentially what your body is creating as a product of your training, as a product of performance training, mm -hmm. is a core that is tighter, that's more compact, that is a better conductor. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, that's what your core is. We talked about this in podcast. Oh my gosh. Past podcasts. Past podcasts. We talked about this in past podcasts. Your core serves as a conductor, the bridge between the upper and the lower body. And the tighter that muscle is, the more efficiently energy can be transferred up and down. So if you're a CrossFitter, if you're essentially a power lifter or an Olympic lifter, and you have to get a heavy weight from the floor up and overhead and then back down as quickly and safely as possible, you're going to want to generate a lot of force and it's going to have to travel up and down your body a couple times to do that. That. So you're going to want to keep and hold on to as much of that force to perform your sport as you possibly can. So that's what the tight core does for you. And that type of training is also going to develop that type of look. Versus a bodybuilder who's like, I you know, I'm not great at a real uh, sport or an activity, but I can look really good standing still and flexing. That's a totally different type of training, you know, and that's really interesting too, is that uh, the training really does affect the way that your six pack looks. And I didn't really think about that until Steven brought up the whole CrossFitter situation. Cause he's more, um, knowledge in that world. I, I mostly focus on the bodybuilding and like the aesthetic type of weightlifting for just looking a certain way. I was an athlete in the past, but since I got into weightlifting, I really just did it for the purpose of sculpting the body and trying to focus on how to make a muscle look a certain way. So I think it's so cool that 
uh, you know, different trainings really do have an impact on how your body looks. I mean, maybe it sounds simple, but it, it really is the case that your training is important to your aesthetic. And uh, on that note as well, something else that's kind of interesting on how different types of training can actually turn your core into like a different type of look is that your obliques um, or what was it, that, that crooked ab type of look where, where maybe your right side of your core is more of a, at a diagonal versus um, perfectly horizontal. Some people have more of a diagonal look to their abs because they do a lot of rotational movements. So someone who plays baseball or does a lot of um, hitting from one direction, a golfer, a surfer, anyone who focuses more on one side of the core in a twisting motion, that can actually cause your abs to have a more rotated look to them. Yeah, what about if you only turn to the left? Uh, <laughs> you mean, I'm, asking, I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> I'm not sure what you want me to say. If um, you only turn to the left, then I guess you're just good at gonna, turning to the left. Car's going to be lopsided too, huh? Lopsided, yeah. But I guess I was wondering if you turn to the left, does that mean your right side oblique is going to be more crooked or your left side oblique is going to be more crooked? I, I, I'm not sure. We're going to do a case study on that. <laughs> but I, I do know that you can develop some semi-crooked abs doing a lot of rotational movements. Um, not that you should always avoid rotational movements because they're really good for strengthening your core, but um, you should balance it out. So, you know, someone who's a right-handed baseball batter or whatever. I don't play baseball. <laughs> maybe a right-handed tennis player or something. You're going to develop some... Uh, Disc- muscular imbalance. Muscular imbalances. Yeah, Thank and you. this is actually it's a great point. Um, my older brother was a college athlete, both as a pitcher and through the javelin and track, and he was right-handed, so he definitely suffered from having somewhat of a lopsided-looking core. I mean, he was strong, but it was very much rotating, always right hand across, twisting to the left side, mm. and he was very, very strong in that in that particular range of motion, but I don't think he ever had much cause to go the other way, so I'm actually <laughs> going to go back and ask him if he, uh, if he feels like he looks Lopsided. a little, little bit odd after this. <laughs> Poor Johnny. Um, <laughs> and then lastly, because we're just about to head out of here, but it was a point of discussion that Stephen and I like did a, we want to do a lot more research on this actually, but something that kind of was interesting that we learned was, um, that you do have different layers of fat and, um, and so you've got the fat that's on top of your muscle. So that would be your subcutaneous fat. And then you've got a layer of fat that lies beneath the muscle and that would be your visceral fat. And, you know, if you can get your subcutaneous fat to shrink or, um, decrease, go down, you're going to get your muscles to really pop. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you have gotten rid of your visceral fat layer. And that doesn't, you can't really see your visceral fat, but the visceral fat is the one that's actually the the closest to your organs and the most dangerous kind of fat to have on you. And uh, while, you know, while we do talk about like being in a calorie deficit and it's important to, to, to burn more calories than you intake. It also really does matter where your calories come from, because if you're, you know, if you're eating as little as possible and all you're eating is junk food and all you're eating is, um, I don't know, processed breads and sugary drinks and even, you know, fruit juice and all that, like that kind of food is more, um, conducive to putting on visceral fat. And that's the type of fat that's more harmful. It's linked to heart disease, diabetes, and a lot of other 
awful things. And, um, it's just a lot more dangerous for your body. And it, you know, so the types of foods that you eat, uh, really do influence where the fat goes, you know, especially alcohol. Yeah. And this is a big topic. And like Laura said, one for another time. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you take out of that, um, the idea that my visceral fat isn't on the surface, therefore it doesn't impact how I look visually. That is true, but it's also not true because one of the side effects of having too much visceral fat due to a poor diet is an impaired metabolism Mm -hmm. and a lot of other hormonal issues, which are ultimately at the end of the day going to impair your body's ability to burn the fat that it already has and increase the chance that your poor diet and any diet you're on is going to add fat to your frame when maybe it otherwise wouldn't if your metabolism and your hormones were at full force. Yeah. So, you know, we talk a lot about diet in our previous podcast and, uh, why, you know, what type of foods to shoot for, you know, what, what healthy carbs are, healthy fats are and how much protein you need. So go back and listen to all those podcasts. But, you know, if you're just on here thinking that I just gotta, I just gotta eat less and, and strength train, like the, the types of foods you eat is very important. And, um, and yeah, I just, I just didn't always think of that as, you know, I understand that you, you can have, you know, a hundred calories of rice or a hundred calories of a banana, but they really, uh, maybe not a banana. That's still like not so bad for you. (laughs) No, but like a hundred calories of a cookie versus a hundred calories of rice, but that does get stored differently on your body and it gets used differently. And, uh, you want to make sure that, that you're, on a low calorie diet, but choosing foods that are going to benefit your hormones, benefit your health and keep your visceral fat levels low. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We just hit on the whole calories in versus calories out concept a little bit there, huh? Yeah. 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 That's also another topic for another time and one which I have a dedicated video coming out to as well. But I think we covered just about everything we set out to do here. So we are yeah. going to leave off there. If this is your first time tuning in, then we've got a lot of great videos in the backlog that we would love to have you check out. Laura just highlighted a few. And as always, we would love to hear from you guys directly. So feel free to email us at SoulFitLabsLA. Check out our website at SoulFitLabs.com. We have nutrition and fitness coaching programs available and a free consult option. So we would love to hop on the phone, video chat with you guys, and get to to know y'all a little bit better. Yeah. And the more we hear from you, the more we can tailor these podcast topics to what you guys want to hear about. So please feel free to reach out to us on Instagram, either this new Soulfit Labs um, at, what is it again? We just created it today. <laughs> it is Soulfit Lab. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I did this on my story too. It's Soulfit underscore Labs. All right. There you have it. At Soulfit underscore Labs, our brand new Instagram account. You can message us there or individually um, at Laura underscore Lucas underscore fitness. Mine's a lot simpler. Stephen Har Fitness. Well, his name is spelled funny. Stephen so. with a V. Har is H-A-A-H-R. <laughs> there you like go. Like the pirate. There you go. All right, you guys. Uh, thank you so much for listening and tuning in. We hope you got something useful out of that and a little more motivated to go do your sit-ups, your crunches, and eat some whole foods. <laughs> some whole foods. <laughs> and thanks to all you guys that tuned in live. We will talk to you guys next week at 4 p.m. Catch you guys later. Bye.